Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Blossoming Gems. My name is Sylvia Pozo, and today we are featuring one of my really good friends, and I will let her get more into who she is, but just one of my closest friends, Miss T. And I call her Miss T because I work together with her at a school when I was a speech therapist, and... But her name is actually Amanda, but she hates that. So she likes to be called Mandy. So my good friend Mandy Tui Tabuki is here with us to teach us about something that is really, really awesome. But more importantly, I hope that we can actually take, digest, and implement it into our lives to be better and kinder people, which our society super duper duper needs. So Misty, take the mic. Well, first of all, I am a little blown away that you said my full name together because I've been Miss T since I've known you. So sometimes I wonder if you actually know my real name. Um, So I am a mom. I've been a social worker for 15 years. Um, I love people. I love kids. And um, I really believe in positive energy and good vibes and in ways that we can teach, especially our youth, how to push that out throughout the world. So I think in a nutshell, that's probably me, Miss T. Awesome. Okay. So you told us a little bit about who Miss T is, but what is your story? How did you get to be the person you are today? Sure. So as in, as far as my profession goes, um, I knew from a really young age that I wanted to be a counselor or a social worker. I remember being in junior high and going through this really difficult phase with like peers and some things that were going on with my family. And there was this counselor at school. And I remember feeling like I could talk with her and she could be genuine with me and I could relate to her and it felt really safe. And so from that time when I was in eighth grade on, I knew that I wanted to play that role for kids too. Now for a long time, it was between that and a fly girl. Do you remember the fly girls from In Living Color? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So like J-Lo-esque, because I love to dance. So it was like counselor or fly girl, counselor or fly girl. Mm. Um, but ultimately, <laughs> I think <laughs> I decided on the right profession and uh, took out the video vixen part and stuck with. We could have been a counselor. We could have really been rolling in the money, man. Had you, <laughs> had you fixed something else? Uh, I'm not sure about that. We might have made the low budget videos. No, no. We'll Ooh, never that. No, no, never that. Okay, so you said that you spoke to someone back in middle school or high school? Sorry, middle school. Mm-hmm. Middle school. Mm, you don't have to go into like super detail, but like, what are some of those things that you went to go see the counselor for? Sure. So um, I had had like an interaction with a boy from school, which in looking back, like in my adult mind, was like teetering on sexual assault. Okay. Um, but being the awkward like age of a junior high student and like wanting approval, but feeling uncomfortable and not sure how to, not being sure about how to kind of move on from that situation. Um, that's something that I went to the counselor about. Okay. And were you kind of like nervous to even seek the counselor at first? Like I, what I'm trying to really shed some light on too, is that like, there's a big stigma with like going to get help or, Oh, I don't want to go to the counselor. Cause like, what if they see me in there or, you know what I mean? Like, and even as an adult, like, Oh, you never want to go. Cause they, they're going to think I'm crazy or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So like. What really 
what steps did you take or what did you say like, hmm, all right, Mandy, like what am I going to do to go see this specific person? I think the way that it actually led up when I think about it is, um, and I see this a lot in my work as a school counselor Mm -hmm. now, Mm -hmm. is I think I was having some drama with my friends in junior high. And so I think my first kind of connection to the counselor was in that realm of kind of talking through like some friend issues. And so it was really kind of like low level stuff. Um, But remembering, I remember feeling like, she heard me and she could really kind of like feel where I was coming from. So then when some of these other events transpired, I felt like it was somebody that I could go back to. Ooh, okay. All right. So you just felt that comfort level. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Okay. When exactly, so we know you're a social worker, but why did you get involved specifically in social work? And what, like when in time, like what specific thing happened to you or maybe like a moment or a person that you were like, whoa, this is like what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I think I kind of always had an idea of what I wanted to do. And so when I went to college, I started out as a psychology major. Ooh, okay. um, and then into my first couple of classes of psychology, I felt like, okay, psychology really focused on like the individual and like the brain and those components of the things that happen in our lives, but it didn't really focus or um, bring into consideration so much like culture or like the neighborhood that you live in or um, like your ethnic background. And so I felt like social work really was a missing piece to what I was really wanting to do. And I think social work specifically has that social justice component. Um, And so that um, for me was what really led me to social work. And prior to like even going to college, When I was young, I had this really close family friend who was a social worker. And so for a very, from a very young age, I was volunteering in domestic violence shelters and I was um, doing outreach with like homeless teens and adults like in downtown Portland. And so I think I had exposure to things where I felt like, okay, I'm making a difference and, um, and I'm really kind of like in the trenches of this work. And so having that background knowledge and then knowing that I had this drive to be a help and a calm voice to somebody else who's going through a difficult time really just pushed me to, towards social work. And I, like I said, I think the social justice component of having a broader impact than just us individually or our family, but looking at like our communities and our culture as a whole was really appealing to me. Okay. Well, I feel like you kind of answered the next question I had for you, but what makes you so passionate about this, about this specific line? So I think you kind of answered that, but feel free to like, sure. I mean, I think what makes me passionate is this belief that I have that we have the power to impact the world around us, that we're not just like acted upon, but we are Um, engaged actors and the things that are going on around us with the people that are around us and then that has this ripple effect into changing our communities and our cultures and our society. Um, I think also when we talk about like the ATM framework it definitely comes from this personal value that I have that all things can be healed. You know, um, I've also spent a part of my career being a trauma therapist, and I had worked um, for the police department working with victims of crime um, and worked specifically with really, really difficult trauma. And I'll tell you, even though seeing some of the most difficult situations and stories 
um, that you get to see as a social worker, I really truly believe that all things can be healed. And that also extends to relationships. Um, so I think that my passion for this comes from the idea of like, we can find ways to move on and we can find ways to feel healthy within ourselves. And we can also find ways um, to help others be healthy around us. Awesome. Wow, that was so good, friend. That was awesome. And if you guys have heard one of the last episodes, I think it was the You're Doing Okay episode. When I make a reference to Miss T, this specifically is the person that I made that reference to. Or I'm not sure if it was You're Doing Okay or The Blade of Grass Theory. Oh, yes, it was The Blade of Grass Theory because Miss T was the one who showed me the article. And I did like an intro on you. Mm. So, so yes, guys, that is like who I'm making the reference to. This is the exact person. So where do you work right now and what do you do? Mm-hmm. So right now I work at Sabas International School. <laughs> Our old working alma mater. Yes. Um, so it's in South Phoenix where it's yes. a school. Um, definitely in a community that has a lot of culture, a lot of life, a lot of vibrancy, and a lot of challenges. Um, so I am the school social worker. Um, so I do, um, work with all of the kids in the school, but I have like a specific caseload of kids that I really focus on. Um, I ended up leaving the police department, my prior job, because my son was starting kindergarten, uh, last year. And I felt like I really wanted to have that school schedule with him. So that brought me back to school, which is kind of like full circle of starting out in the profession I'm in because of a school counselor and then ultimately coming back to be a school counselor now. Oh, that's awesome. And shout out to Zyb, big bad first grader. Woo. <laughs> but um, so yes, guys, again, going back to Sabas, that is how I met Miss T as in general as being my friend. Um, I met Miss T because she actually was like my next door neighbor and what's really funny is that I honestly don't know what the original like building plans for the school was, but me and Miss T literally have like a closet as our in quotations like classroom because they are literally like cubbies <laughs> where we put like a desk and a computer and then like treat children. <laughs> And they, and yeah, we have like the two smallest closet rooms, but it was okay. Cause again, we literally did that job because the kids are dope. The community is awesome. And just, again, I would not have it any other way. And if I didn't live that far, I would probably still be there. So, um, we're always trying to get you back sister. <laughs> um, one of the things that Miss T did though, and I, it was in the beginning of the school year, right? That you did that presentation? Yeah, I think it was like in November of okay. last year. So one of the things that like just super duper blew me away um, was that Miss T like stood up in front of this whole new staff because again she was new, I was new, and everybody else was had been there for a gazillion years. But um, she stood up there and gave a presentation about ATM framework and. Miss T really gives everything her all. Like she talks about energies and Miss T is like a super high energy, positive person who literally champions the world. And I'll go into that later because she loves to champion people. Um, but she gave, gave, gave this awesome presentation that I was literally blown away by. And I, it just continued to like burn in the back of my mind. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm going to have Miss T on the blog. This was when I was still doing the blog, 
But now that this is a podcast, like I was like, oh, this is going to be even better because she will be able to deliver ATM framework and what it is as a whole. So like, it's not even just like, this is what I got from it. And I'm going to like illustrate my own version. Like, no, you are getting it like straight up from the person's mouth. And this is just, again, something that I just think is so awesome. And back when we were in school, she just delivered this presentation and it was so great. And I'm still a little salty because somebody decided to talk through it, but I won't say no names. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not friends. You gotta with... let that energy go. You yeah. See, and I just go. again, see, look, this is why the ATM framework just like back at it, and it's something that I exercise a lot because it's something that is really adaptable as an adult. But again, we used it with kids at the school, so. Um, without further ado, I'm going to let her get started with that just because, again, it's something really incredible. But I just, whether you're listening to this at the gym or in the car, like, please crank this up three more notches because this is just something that's really going to resonate and vibe with you. So go ahead, Miss T. Okay. So the ATM framework was actually kind of born out of this uh, talk that I had heard at church maybe nine or ten years ago. Um, the speaker that was speaking was talking about how with our kids as parents, a lot of times we need to take a step back and look at our interactions and think, are we taking away more from our kids than we're giving them? And he used the idea of like a bank account. Um, and at the time, um, I was working with youth in a residential treatment setting. Um, specifically I was working with, um, teen adolescent sexual offenders. Mm. Um, and I, and so we're working with these kids who have a lot of their own trauma, have made some really difficult life choices, are like on this path to recovery that's really, really difficult. And sometimes these are hard kids to really like vibe with and create a relationship with. Um, and so I saw the need within our staff to really learn how to build relationships with kids that are maybe difficult to build relationships with. And so I took this idea of like noticing what we give versus what we take in balancing out our relationships and turned it into what I call the ATM professional parenting framework. Um, so really it came out of a model to teach providers who work specifically with teens and adolescents about how to build positive relationships to be able to um, help that kid reach their goals, but to also be able to work in tandem where we're able to kind of like mitigate behavior and drama and all those things that really are energy sucks um, from us in our day-to-day -day lives. So when you think about an ATM framework, like most of us have a bank account, right? And so we know in order to have money in your account, you have to have a paycheck coming in or you got to have a sugar daddy or you got to have somebody <laughs> that's putting money there, right? So you have to be making deposits to have something in your bank account. Well, we know if you're making withdrawals, that's okay as long as you have enough deposits to cover it. But if you're withdrawing more than you deposit, then you... You end up with a negative, negative, and negative. Yeah, you overdraft. So the idea when we're talking about relationships is to keep an eye on the bank account and with the relationships that you have in your life to make sure you're not getting to a point where you're overdrafting people. Um, and so when we talk about like things that are deposits, specifically when we talk about like in a teacher context or any adult that's working with a kid, um, we're talking about little things, little deposits like smiling, positive mm -hmm. praise, 
listening to someone wholeheartedly. Yeah. Like validating someone's feelings. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of get into these higher level deposits of um, like finding common interests and having fun together. Um, Giving someone the benefit of the doubt, I think, is a really big one. Um, Finding ways to not... Um, to let things go, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and definitely like on the hierarchy of deposits, a big one is apologizing and being accountable for your stuff, Oof, which is like super hard for people to do. Right. Right. And like a lot of times um, in like, uh, in a school role, we kind of expect kids to be able to do that. But a lot of times like adults aren't very good yeah. at modeling that behavior totally. either. Absolutely. Like, that's, it, for a lot of people, it's kind of hard to take the loss and be vulnerable that way. Mm-hmm. So if we think about some of those things as deposits, um, some of the things we're talking about when we think about relationship withdrawals are um, saying no. So people sometimes question me about this one, but I use my son as an example. So when he's six now, but when he was like three or four, he went through this stage where like every morning he would wake up and he would ask for cookies, like fresh out of bed. (laughs) And I would say, no, bud, you know, we don't eat cookies for breakfast. And then of course it erupted into, and we started our day off terrible. Right. So that, even though it's like a necessary, no, I can't give my kid cookies every morning for breakfast. You know, I got to say no to that sometimes. That's still considered, (laughs) that's still considered a withdrawal. Sometimes I'm the cool mom and I let the cookies come in in the morning, but overall, like we're really consistent and he's, he knows, like, like, no, you can't have cookies for breakfast. Um, but every time I would do that, it was still withdrawal. So I talked to people about, you know, um, there are things where we have to draw boundaries and we have to say no to things. We can't always just be like a yes man or a yes woman. But recognizing that when we do have to draw those boundaries, those are typically withdrawals for the person that we're interacting with. Another mm-hmm. like pertinent example was today. So um, my nephew from Australia, who's 17, just moved over like in the last month to live with us because he wants to come to America and play football here and hopefully get a college scholarship. Yeah. And he's ginormous, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I became an insta parent of a teenager and a high schooler. And so, like, today, for example, he had football practice this morning. He texts me after football practice. I was coming to pick him up. He's like, hey, can I go straight to my friend's house? And, you know, we, this is not a nephew that I knew a lot before he came here. I'd only actually ever met him once. So we're still trying to build a relationship. We're still trying, you know, I'm trying to make those deposits and things. But I said, hey, like, I think it's better if you come home first, like, take a shower and, you know, do get a couple chores in that we need, and then I'll take you over to your friend's house. Yeah. So to me, like, it's easy for me to look at that, like, yes, I'm saying yes, but I don't think I'm saying yes in the way that he wanted. Was he upset? No, he wasn't upset. He rolled with it. He's like, okay, auntie, like, we can do that, because he's, like, a good, like, respectful kid, you know? But then, like, later as I was showering, I was reviewing because now the ATM like framework of deposits and withdrawals is so ingrained in me I thought you know what I think that's probably a withdrawal for that kid like I need to think about what I need to do to kind of like get something in his bank account even though it was a little one he wasn't upset about it but it's just a perfect example of like in everyday life there's things that we have to say no to um and and that's okay, but then recognizing we've got to find a way to balance it out. So then let me stop you right there. So then, for example, that was the withdrawal 
because you were like, it wasn't like a solid yes. It was like a kind of yes because he was eventually going to be able to go to his friend's house. But now you're thinking about it and you're like, oh, okay, that was a withdrawal. So then what would be your deposit? Like, what would that look like later? What could that look like? Mm-hmm. So I think for him, um, some of the things I was trying to think of because I'm still trying to get to know him and Mm -hmm. I think that's another really important thing when we're talking about deposits and withdrawals is how well do we know that person or how can we find out which deposits really matter to them okay so um so you can't just smile at everybody and be like oh deposit here (laughs) deposit here here." (laughs) right so everybody kind of has individualized things that really make more of a difference for them so like if you've ever read the love languages book I think that's like a good place to start to kind of know um what different people need or what really becomes like a big deposit for them yeah you know okay so um So I'm still trying to figure that out with him, but I think part of it for me is when I have the ability to just say yes without conditions, that I do that. Okay. Because I think it's really easy as a mom and a parent, we all have um, our own lives going on. Like, so now I have a first grader and now I have a high schooler and they both play sports and I have a full-time, you know, working mom and my husband's a social worker too and has a, a full schedule. It's easy to say like, hold up, wait, we can't right now, let's do it later. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality of life, things like that are going to happen. But recognizing like when you can say yes, it's good to say yes without conditions. Ooh, okay. Yeah, see, that's a good one to like, because for me, like I was like, oh, that's still you saying yes, but you're right. Like that was saying yes with conditions. Mm -hmm. Saying yes in the way that worked best for me. Yeah. What worked best for him was saying I can go straight to my friend's house. Okay. So it was a compromise, but you know, and compromise, it means give and take. So this compromise, cause I was the parent, I kind of pulled the parent card and said, we're going to do it my way. And okay. he was good with that. But I think recognizing when we do have to compromise, somebody's always giving something. So finding ways to, to give back. Okay. And I'm going to ask for an example for like one of our kids that we used to work with. You can pick any of the bunch cause we had a ton of kids together Okay. Um, at school. Give me an example of, like, one of our kids at school for the bank account situation. And then if you want, we can switch over to, like, someone we work with. So, aside from just saying no, which is an everyday occurrence, there are some other common withdrawals that we need to think about. So, like, an attentiveness, right? When someone's trying to get your attention or talk to you and you're multitasking or doing other things. I think this is, like, a really big thing, especially now that everybody's, like, glued to their phones and to technology. Mm, yes. I think it's really a relationship um, breaker. And it's withdrawing more than we think it is. Because we see now, too, like, people who use social media as a way of validation because that in-person validation isn't happening mm-hmm. as much because we just aren't as attentive as a society anymore. Yeah. So inattentiveness is a big one to look out for. Um, also like having to correct someone's behavior, right. Or kind of call them out on something. Yeah. That's a big one. Um, like even things like negative body language or facial expressions. Um, I'm trying to get better at that, but I don't always have a good poker face. So <laughs> I have a lot of affect and energy in my face, but sometimes our body language and our facial expressions, even if we don't say anything, we need to realize and be accountable for, ooh, that's probably sending a message to someone and having an impact. Definitely like minimizing people's feelings or their situations, telling them to get over it, it wasn't that big of a deal, Yeah, is something that can really be a big withdrawal for people because they feel like they're not heard and they're not seen. And that really breaks the connection. 
um, making someone feel like they're a low, a low priority, I think goes along with inattentiveness, you know, when you have those friends or, um, in the context at school, sometimes it's really difficult as a social worker because I'm responding to crises, but then I have kids that I'm like scheduled to see at certain times that doesn't always happen. And so one of my pitfalls I really have to look out for is making sure I'm not giving people the impression that they're a low priority for me. Um, Breaking promises, you know, or not following through with something that you say you're going to do are big withdrawals. Um, and then definitely things that kind of go along with body language. But when we talk about in a professional parenting role, like raising your voice, yelling, saying something that maybe you weren't in control of when you said it. And like those negative comments are really kind of in that hierarchy of the things that we want to stay away from. Because we know that like the words we say really stick with people. I can think of things um, uh, like this is a, a silly example, but, um, I was like eight years old and I had got my grades and, um, and I had showed my uncle my, my report card. And I think I had probably like four A's and one B, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a perfect report card, but it was pretty good. And I was like, uncle, uncle, like look at my report you card. Were, you were excited I about it. I so good. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, oh, like you're going to need a better grade than that to get into the college I went to. And I just remember like, as an, like, I still remember that, like as a year old feeling like, oh man, like maybe I'm not good enough. Mm. So we know that the things that we say, and especially like when we're out of control or we're intentionally trying to hurt someone's feelings, like those things stick with people. Yeah. So, um, really recognizing when we've made those mistakes because we will because we're human and we're not perfect and we're all subject to like being emotionally dysregulated but really being considerate of okay now I have to repair that now I have to find a way for deposits um when you look at like so an example of one of our kids from our school Mm -hmm. when you think about an overall bank account um, there was this kindergartner we had last year. I'm a little bubby. <laughs> we won't violate no type of furpa though. <laughs> One of our favorites. Um, but this kiddo, like, he came late to school yes. almost every day. So mm-hmm. he was already kind of behind. He didn't, you know, he's feeling kind of out of sorts because he's coming late. Most of the time he hadn't had breakfast. Yeah. Or, um, or food over the weekend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really, like, minimal resources in the family. Um, and he would share with me often that like, because they were late and probably because mom was in a high stress situation, like most of the way driving to school, like mom was just kind of yelling at them and being tough on them. So this little guy would get to school in the morning and his head and his face would already be so downtrodden because of what's happened over his weekend or just the way that the morning's gone, just in an hour of being up, of being hungry, of being late, of being yelled at. Um, sometimes this kid, you know, didn't have things as simple as like chonies on underneath his pants, yeah. you know? So, mm-hmm. um, really, and, and kids around that age kind of start to notice when peers have things and they don't. Um, so this is a kid that I would consider like his bank account is already overdrafted. Yeah. Like he's coming to us in severe red territory. Okay. And so we really have to, as a team at the school, look at what are these conscious deposits we can give this kid. And this kid did have like behavior issues at times, um, especially before we kind of enacted a plan for him. And I'm going to pause you right there, Miss mm-hmm. T. So, of course, yes, this kid had a lot on his plate already. And some of the times where me and Miss T like were really his biggest advocates was because 
the teachers, which is fine, they have enough on their plate already, but this teacher or teachers were like, okay, you're at school, you need to perform. When this kid is already like on zero and overdrafted, how can one possibly even start to perform or learn anything when you're like in the negative zone? And I think that's a really important point because a lot of times, especially when we're working with kids, I think this goes for adults too, but specifically with kids, when you have someone that's already in an overdrafted state, they're not going to be able to reciprocate deposits for a couple of reasons. One, it may be that they don't know how to. If they haven't been in an environment that's been able to model to them, how do you give praise? How are you attentive? How do you give someone the benefit of the doubt? How do you smile? Like even knowing like the affect cues and things like that. If that hasn't been modeled to a child, they don't know how to give it to you. Mm -hmm. Um, So giving them a verbal explanation of what you want is not enough. They have to see it and they have to receive it in order to then be able to give it to someone else. But when we're talking about kids that are chronically overdrafted, you have to realize you're going to have to give a lot of deposits to that kid before they can reciprocate anything. And I think that's kind of the part um, in all relationships, but specifically like when we look at teachers or individuals that work with kids is we feel like, okay, if I'm going out of my way to give you respect and kind of give you something of my patience or my time, you need to do the same in return. I think it's really important for us as adults to realize I'm going to have to do this over an extended amount of time before this kid has enough built up to be able to give me something back. Yeah. Do you have any more tiers that you would like to go over or can I ask for specific examples? All right, Misty. So let me give you some real life scenarios where like people could actually be like, Ooh, all right, how do I use this ATM framework with real life or this person or this person? So all right, first I'm gonna hit you with like let's say let's say we have a coworker that's like super negative Nelly, super negative pants, never gives us the benefit of the doubt if we mess up or something. Um, I'm actually speaking from experience here. You say hi to this person at work and they're like a supervisor of some sort and they literally give zero fucks and do not say hello <laughs> back or you could hit them with the good morning and they won't say anything. What personally happened to me is like I sneezed. They didn't say anything. And so I said, oh, bless me. Thank goodness I'm here for myself. (laughs) So obviously I did not exercise the ATM framework because I was super salty. But give me a scenario like we're in that situation. I would really start to begin to like maybe put in some deposits or how, how would that work for someone who's super negative? And honestly, they're not giving anything to me. So what would I put back in order to get something in return? So I really think the first step is this acknowledgement of, okay, this is a relationship that like causes me stress or causes me anxiety or just makes me feel negative overall. Because a lot of times when we have people like that, like you don't, you're not in a situation where like you have to be friends with that person. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very easy for us to be like, whatever, you know, like, and, and kind of blow it off and no fucks. Yeah. (laughs) I'll let you say it. Yeah. But not be willing to put in any energy into it. But I think that that's where, um, it's really, really important that we recognize that what we put out really has an effect on what we get back Mm -hmm. and also what gets, um, given out to other people. So let me give you a specific example. Okay. Um, I also have worked with a coworker that was very, very similar to what you described. Um, 
And this particular coworker, um, from time to time, we would have run-ins, but even more so with one of my very close work friends had a lot of conflict with him. Um, so they were oftentimes like exchanging these very bitter emails. They were having to like have co-meetings with like the top dog to kind of like work through issues. So there was a lot of bad history there. Um, and because I was friends with this person, I think it was kind of easy to absorb their experience yeah. that they had had with this person into me creating a judgment of how I felt about them. So in knowing that I was like in a negative situation, one, this person didn't really care for me, also didn't care for my friend. Um, there was one day at work where this person kind of came down into our area, which they don't typically do. So instead of just letting her kind of pass by and go back to where she belongs, I engaged her in conversation. Yeah. Um, I actually went out of my way to give her some compliments specific to her work performance of things that I noticed that she's really, really good at. Okay. Um, and I asked her to help me on a project I was working on right now. Like I didn't necessarily like need her help, but I showed in a way that I valued, like that she could bring something to what I was working on. Oh, okay. So right. I, I was very much intentionally trying to do a deposit. It wasn't something that happened organically. I was like, the energy is bad. This has been bad. She's in our space. How can I maximize this? Okay. So I engaged in conversation. I had good body language. I smiled a lot. I gave the compliments. I asked for her opinion and her help. Okay. It acknowledged that she had a skill that maybe I didn't have. Um, and then she went on her way. Okay. So the interesting thing is, is that she didn't come back to me the next day and write me a thank you card or give me a big deposit. But what she did do is she followed up to my friend that she had had this ongoing conflict with for months that following day and said, okay, I'm ready to sit down and work this out. And it was very big. And actually, the day that I had made the intentional deposit, I had talked to my friend and said, hey, I just tried to, like, make a deposit. We'll see what happens. And, like, clockwork. And boom. <laughs> the next day, he came <laughs> back and said, I think you worked the magic. Um, and the interesting thing is, is that I've seen this replicated in my life a bunch of times. But there's also a lot of recent social psychological studies that have been done in university settings that suggests that witnessing compassion and also being the recipient of compassion or pro-social behavior um, causes other people to act in a similar matter. Mm. Have you ever seen the show Brain Games? No, I don't think so. Okay, so I love it. It's a show on National Geographic, and um, it talks about the way that our brain works and like how our instincts and things have evolved over time. Mm. They did this really great, like you could go on YouTube and look it up. It's called the Compassion Experiment. Um, and it really kind of illustrates this idea in a really solid way about when we give somebody compassion, then that person is more apt to be compassionate with somebody else that they interact with. Ooh, okay. Um, so without going into the whole video, um, it's, a, it's a setup of a scientific experiment where these individuals are um, given the opportunity to give hot sauce to a person that they don't know, either mild, medium, or like killer. Um, and that person has to eat an entire bowl of chili with whatever hot sauce they choose. 
So initially when people start the experiment, they, they all do mild because they, we're naturally compassionate people. Human beings tend to be naturally compassionate. So then they alter the study um, in the second group of control subjects. And this time, when the person is walking down the hall to go into the experiment room, this jerky person knocks into them in the hallway and says like, hey, there's two lanes here, bro, and is just bad body language, like bad social cues, and then like not taking any accountability, right? So the person who was on the receiving end of that negative withdrawal goes into the experiment booth and when they see the person in the double glass mirror across from them who they're going to be giving the hot sauce to, it's the jerk from the hallway. <gasps> so, oh, and then they give them the killer they sauce. They give them the killer sauce. They give oh. them the killer sauce. So then this is the piece, though, that happens in the third control group, which really illustrates the compassion effect. So they rerun the second frame of the experiment, which is they jump it, they knock into the um to the rude guy in the hallway they're kind of shook up some people were even like posturing like they wanted to fight they go into the experiment booth but this time the the scientist that's running the experiment who in the first two control groups was just very measured and explained the experiment um really monotone and just very directly interacts with the person as the person comes in, he says, oh, that's a great smile. That smile can light up the room. Even little things like, hey, can I offer you some water before we get the experiment started? So just some really basic low-level deposits and compassion. When faced with the same difficulty of running into that jerk in the hallway and then seeing him across the mirror, and that's the person you can give the hot sauce to, because those people have been given just a little bit of compassion by the experiment controller, Nobody gave him the hot, hot sauce. <gasps> Nobody gave him the killer sauce? Nobody gave him the killer sauce. Most people gave mild, and there was one or two people that gave a medium. So you can see from that that compassion is contagious. Yeah, and it, like, really puts out a fire. Mm-hmm. And so just going back to that example that I shared at work, that was exactly what had happened. It didn't necessarily come back to me at that moment, although in later interactions it did. Uh-huh. I feel like there was more compassion there towards me that she was attempting to make an effort as well but we saw the ripple effect with her being able to confront a situation that had been negative for a number of months oh wow wow that's awesome okay well it's good to see well let's see Uh, let's see if the atm framework continues to work out in the rest of my um little real life examples so what about all right oh here we go what about the friend that's in a negative situation and they are just like your road dog? You just like have super mad love for this person. But right now, they're in a situation that negatively negatively affects you. So you love, 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 love that person, but they might be in a situation that just has made their relationship with you personally shift because of the situation that they are in. So this is where I think ATM gets kind of on a higher level because up to this point, we've talked about the ATM framework as far as exchanges and relationships back and forth. Um, But when you're talking about somebody that's in your inner circle that now there's a relationship discord with, what we have to do is have an awareness of where our own personal bank account is at the moment. Okay. So we have to be able to look at 
what deposits do I have coming in regularly? Um, and what withdrawals are happening in my life? So like specific to this type of friend that you're describing, you have to really look at what are the things that they're doing or what are like the energy tones that they're bringing to the relationship that are taking money out of your bank account. Um, so in order to be able to withstand something like that in a relationship, you have to know that, okay, if this is a friend who in the past has been able to really reciprocate Mm -hmm. in a relationship for me, like you know that they're capable and that this is just a matter of time, like they're in a spot where they're just not able to do it for whatever reason. You have to find a way to sustain that relationship knowing that there's going to be some inequity for okay. a moment, right? So let me stop you right there. So you're saying that it's still possible because – and you, you've called me out the, on this before because you and I are really good friends. So for me, if they're already like in a negative situation and they were once a person that like we could go back and forth, we were doing the checks and balances and deposits and withdrawals equally. So like we really did have that mad love for each other. But naturally, if it wasn't working out and it was just like causing me to be maxed out on my personal bank account, this is where I would just be like, boop cut off, done. You're saying that this is like salvageable. Absolutely. And I think that that is the thing that I've learned about human existence, not only from kind of my own personal values of like the belief that like everything can be healed, but in working with trauma in working in relationships in seeing people's life stories that have been like some of the craziest and saddest stories that you can think of. Seeing how relationships can be prepared, can be repaired, it's amazing to know like these things are salvageable. Okay. So I think um, one of the things that you really have to know and consider is that like each of us carries energy within our body, right? Um, we get energy from like positive interactions we have with our spouse or our significant other. We get energy from the food we eat, right? We get energy from doing things that we love. Like for me, one of my biggest like deposits that I make for myself when I can notice that I'm getting depleted is I love to be out in the sun. Like for me, there's something about being outside. So like being in the sun and water is one of my things that I know that when I do that, like I feel like I can breathe again and I feel like I'm recharged. So it's finding those things that recharge you, whether it's like connecting with an old hobby that really recharges you or like music or exercise or even like paying attention to the foods that you're eating. Like, are you eating foods that are really tearing your body down or are you giving your food, like, are you giving your body nourishment that's going to build up like your energy? Okay. Um, so it's really looking at how can I put myself in a situation where I feel like I have what I need in my bank account to be able to help the people that are in my life. Okay. And I think the other piece of this too is recognizing that sometimes in these, when you have a close relationship, it's really getting at the deposits and withdrawals and defining what those maybe need to be in the relationship for the moment. So for example, it might be sitting with this friend and saying, look, I love you. I have mad love for you. Like I'm, I want to be there for you forever, but this is a rocky road we're in right now. In order for me to feel like I can hang on to this and keep this going, like 
these are the kind of deposits that I want from you. Okay. I need you to not lose these things that we had before. And maybe they can't do everything like they used to do, but they can. you can identify to them like the important thing that used to really drive and fuel that connection that you okay. had. Let's not lose that part. Let's remember the times when, <laughs> when we frolic down the hall or, okay. Well, and when you have a friend that's in a relation, in like a situation that's stressful for them and their bank account is probably being withdrawn on as well, um, they might not have a lot to give. So giving them clarity about this is the one thing you can give me that can help me to hang on can really guide their energies and their focus, kind of help them to maximize what bits of energy they have left. Do you feel like people, like, let's say I do get to that point where I'm like, hey, this is what I need from you. Kind of like tapping into like blade of grass theory, like, ooh, okay, I'm accepting you for what you can give right now, Mm -hmm. but are we allowed and are most people usually receptive of like, hey, this is what I need from you? Or can it be like defensive and then they'll get over it and kind of digest it? So it depends on the person, obviously. Okay. But I think always the way to start this conversation that's more productive is to start is to not start with here's what I need from you, but to acknowledge like, hey, we've been in a negative space. Give them the praise, but I love you. Like you've been this for me at this moment in time. Like give them that praise. Let them know the impact they've had for you. Kind of like I did for that teacher in the hall, right? I like yeah. I went to her positive stuff. Give them all the positive stuff and say, like, I think things might be rough for a while because of everything that's going on, Mm -hmm. but I want you to know I want to be there for you. What's the one thing I can do that will help you feel like I can be there for you? So I think the best way to approach that is to give them the opportunity and maybe they won't know right away. Maybe you say, like, maybe you need to think about that. And, like, let me know. Okay. But I want to be a friend to you. And maybe it even means going over with them, like, deposits and withdrawals. And, like, hey, I'm getting to an overdrafted place. How do you feel in your life? But giving them the opportunity to first identify what they need from you. Because it takes people off of the defensive. um, And then you can reciprocate with. And in thinking about all the ways that you've been really impactful to me, this is the part of the relationship that I really love. And I want to keep that. Mm. So it's not so much saying, you don't give this to me anymore. It's saying, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> I love it and I yeah. want to keep it. Okay. Or I want to revive it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, what happens when you have a friend or a person or a coworker that somebody, somebody that you're in contact with a lot and they are just a withdrawler. They are just like a take, take, taker. Um, they're the flaky people. Mm. So maybe they're a friend who's just like, hey, yeah, let's make plans to go to lunch. And then they're the people who are like, maybe you do make plans. You get to that point of like, oh, let's make plans. And when you book them, and then they bail. Or they are that person who's like, yeah, let's go to lunch. Or like, let's hang out. And then y'all never hang out. <laughs> so they're like the flaky flakes, but they the takey takes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think there is a difference between like cutting someone off versus recognizing what you have in your own personal bank account and what you're able to give. Okay. I think one of my favorite words, and you know this, is acceptance. Yeah. I think when we talk about relationships and we just talk about our energy and how we move through life, acceptance is a huge part of how we thrive and how we survive. Okay. So... Like you were referring to in the last scenario, 
you know, sometimes we just have to accept what a person can give us at the moment. Yes. Sometimes we also just have to accept this person may never be able to give me what I want. Okay. Um, my perception of what I would want this person to be is never really going to be in line with the person that they are. Mm. So when you come to that realization, we don't move to acceptance just because we come to the realization. Like it's a process it and it takes time. And a lot of times it takes therapy. And, um, I'm not going to lie guys. I was like coached with one of somebody that I had personally in my life. I was coached by Miss T to just like get to that level of acceptance. And one of the things that Miss T like really, really shed light on really quick is that, if you still get fired up over it, like when you're talking about it with someone, you're not at that level. You'd be like, yeah, I'm cool with her, but fuck her though. Like, no, like you, you haven't gone there. So again, I, I joke around with like, fuck Lisa from the fourth grade. And Miss T always laughs because she really knows that I am like that because I'm so, because I have been hurt before. Like, I'm just like, if I get to this point, which again, I will say, I never get mad. And it takes me a really long time to get there. But if you take me there, I'm ready to get there with the scissors. <laughs> Miss T's like trying not to crack up. But again, acceptance is like being able to like say that person's name or like talk about that person in passing or like, oh, maybe you're going to see them at the Christmas party and that person's going to be there. But, but in your head, you're like, but is she really though? Because she's so flaky. no. It's actually being like, oh, I hope they do come. Or like, oh, it'll be nice to see that person because I haven't seen them in a while. But if you're still like, nah, fuck Lisa from the fourth grade, you have not reached the acceptance level that Miss T is talking about. No, thanks, Sylvia. <laughs> I think that's really important. And that is a, a good way to be able to measure like where your acceptance level is at. If you feel all those emotions. Yes. And like our body holds on to experiences and emotions that we've had with people. Like it stores that in our bodies. And so we could have a whole nother podcast about different techniques that you have to move that energy out of your body. Ooh, we should do that. Um, but <laughs> you know that you've come to a point of acceptance where your emotions and those feelings and those knots in that your stomach or that like, pit in your throat doesn't come up when you talk about that person or you think about that person. Um, so in thinking about people that are the taker takers, but for some reason or another, they're kind of always going to be around. Yeah. We still have like a need or a want to have them around. Sometimes for people like this is, these are their parents, you know? Yeah. Sometimes, um, I have a lot of friends who have um, relationships with their parents where their parents are the takers and they really have to parent their parents a lot. Um, and so it's knowing, but they still have a desire to want to be loved by their parent yeah. and to find a way to love their parent. So it's really acknowledging like, okay, I have my own personal bank account. Where is it at? How do I fill it? How do I, like, it's also being predictive about, I know this person will do these kind of withdrawals. How do I reduce the number of times that might happen okay. so knowing we can't control other people's behavior we yes. can only control our behavior that's a big one um but we can't impact it remember because yeah. compassion is contagious um but really sometimes we do need to step back and I'm, I'm not a proponent like you know of cutting people off and saying we're done because I think over time for everybody things shift in our life and everybody's personal bank account shifts over time but for the moment, it might mean stepping back from that relationship. 
and maybe not extending the invite to someone that you know is going to flake. You know, it's not saying you won't ever extend an invite. It's just yeah. saying for right now, I kind of can't take the disappointment of like another letdown. Deal. Not coming. And um, that's totally okay, right? For us to like self-evaluate ourselves and see where we're at. Like, yeah. right? Yeah. I think when you're thinking about your own personal bank account, you want to acknowledge what people and what things are withdrawing from your life. But then I think it's very easy for us to stop there and kind of like not have our own awareness about what we're responsible for and what we need to be doing. Okay. And then say, okay, I also need to be doing these things to build up my emotional reserves so that I can deal with the people that are in my life. And so that I can get to a place where hopefully I will have acceptance about it. If you're living in a situation where you're chronically overdrafted all the time with the person you're in the relationship with, you're not going to be able to move to acceptance with that person or any other person in your life. Because you need to have moments where your bank account is out of the red, even if just slightly, to be able to feel like you can breathe. And acceptance really doesn't come until you get those moments. Okay. Awesome. All right. So I know we like went over a lot of things in a short amount of time, but I want to bring this to like a good, wholesome, like all around closing. So if we learned anything from the framework, like what do you really want us to take away from this? Like give us like a quick, like three things like to exercise and like kind of like you don't meditate with in the mornings or like what are some good like top things about the framework to always remember and to like really exercise and use? I think one of the great things about the framework, like once you learn to practice it, is it sort of depersonalizes the interactions that we have with other people. Like, like we talked about, we can get really caught up in the emotion of it and say, (laughs) I'm moving on or I'm cutting you off. Um, But when we can step back and more objectively look and say, okay, what are the things I have been giving to this person? Mm. Or have I really kind of been a taker? It's always easier for us to see what, how people have harmed us or what people have done to us and maybe not have the awareness of like, oh, what have I, what have I actively tried to give to this person? It gives us an objective way to kind of move out of the emotions and look more at like the inputs and outputs. Mm-hmm. So I think it can it can really give us. Um, I'm repeating myself, but it can really give us a more objective way to approach relationships versus just living in the emotion of it. Okay. I think the other thing too, just to know, um, is that when we do that. We have an objective view, but it also gives us hope of, like, what we can tangibly do. Because a lot of times we're in a relationship where, like, this just feels gross and yucky and, like, I don't want to be in it anymore. I'm out. It gives us a clear path to take action. That's good. Yeah, that's good because I naturally would be the, woo, I'm out. (laughs) Well, and when our emotions are heightened, that's we go into flight, fight, or or flee response, right? Yeah. So, um, or freeze response too. So, it's normal to have those reactions. But if we know that, okay, I have power in my life, mm-hmm. and I can do something about this, um, that gives us hope. That's great. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to share with us before we come to an end? I think just one of the most important things before you jump to trying to fix a relationship 
in your life or with somebody else is that you really first have to do an account of your own personal bank account. Because if you acknowledge like, I'm not really in a good space right now, like I'm already overdrafted, you may not want to try to repair those other relationships at the moment. You have to focus on you first to get your bank account up to where you have something to give. So I think always having self-awareness, and I think that that's the great thing about the ATM framework is like if you can step back and look objectively of what you've done and what you've received, you can have an awareness of yourself of really where you're at and actively build yourself up to the best point possible to be able to heal these other rifts that are in your life. That's awesome. Well, thanks, Miss T. Like this was just really awesome. And I've been wanting to do this for a long time. So really thank you for being here and like being able to share this with everybody. And you guys, I'm going to post Miss T has like a, a handout that she does. Cause obviously she presents her like the school or, you know, different places that she's ever worked at. Um, so I'm going to take the handout and really, um, put it up on the blog so that you guys can actually see it. And maybe you guys just like want to take that, print it out, put it somewhere that at work in front of your, or on your like cubicle that you are there all the time, um, at home when you're getting ready, something that you can really just kind of meditate on and kind of be able to like implement with time. Cause obviously you're not just going to be like, Oh my gosh, let me study this framework and let me do this all tomorrow and fix my deposits and fix all that. No, it takes time. And, um, again, it's just something that I think that is just really good for everyone to know. So thanks, Miss T, for being here. Thanks for having me, friend. Anything else? Oh, um, I might put up your social media stuff. Okay. So, all right. Thanks for being here, guys, and we'll see you next time. Peace mm. out. Good energy to all you folks out there. Bye.